Amen. Amen. Well, such a privilege and an honor to be with you this morning again. My name is Andrew Storms, and it's just really fun for me to get to share my heart. Um, if I put you to sleep because my voice is monotone and deep, sorry about that. I'll try to move it here and there a little bit. My daughter, she came to the first service, my four kids and my wife, and on the way out to the car to put them back, she said, are you going to preach the same message you did now in the second service? And I assured her that was the intent. I hope that that stays true unless the Lord changes it, but I'm hoping not. So it's going to be good. We're in week three of a series that Tyler opened up two weeks ago, talking about the soil uh, of our life. There, Jesus talked in the parable about the four soils. We want to be like the fourth soil that's tilled, that's ready to receive the word of God and the word of the kingdom so that we can actually produce fruit from that place. So today's topic is a bit heavy. Uh, as I speak, I know that I am not angry. I am not upset. It may come across that way, but there is a uh, conviction, I believe, that God has given me to speak truth, and so I will not apologize for that part of it, but I'll, I'll do my best to make sure it doesn't come across that way. I believe that the Word of God is totally what we need to change our lives, 100%. This is, this is Jesus right here wrapped in the pages. It says that he became flesh and he dwelt among us. The answers to life can all be found right here, right here in this Word. One of the questions I've had before I'm just going to ask you to, to think about is, who is the most sinful person that you think has ever stepped foot on this planet? The most sinful person. I think if we're honest with ourselves, some of us went right away to Hitler or Nero, or if you have a bit of an understanding, perhaps you looked inside and said, I think maybe the answer is me. Maybe I'm the most sinful person. But I submit to you out of the word of God that the most sinful person to ever step foot on this planet was actually Jesus Christ himself. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it said, God made him who had no sin to what? Be sin for us. He took every single one of our sins. He took all of our shame, all of our mistakes, and he placed it on himself to become the most sinful person to ever walk this planet. And it's so that God punished him so that you and I would never have to die the death that was due to us. Can we say amen to that this morning? Amen. One of the things, and really the point I made there, hopefully, was that inside of here there are answers to all the questions that we have in life. And there's things that we have to dig into sometimes that we may not always like the answer. It may not agree with what we grew up hearing or knowing. But if it's in the word of God, we have to take it to be true. Today, we're going to tackle one of the greatest sins, one of the greatest hindrances, one of the biggest rocks that lays dormant inside the soil of our lives, and that is the sin of pride. Pride has been around for a very long time. I feel personally like two of the greatest struggles, the greatest sins are fear and pride. Whereas fear, if you've ever dealt with it in your life, it's very paralyzing. It makes you immobile. You can't move. You can't press into things. But pride will actually stunt your growth. You can walk in pride. You can move around, but you'll never grow if pride is still rooted deep inside of your life. It'll keep you as an infant. You'll be young, and you'll never press on and mature into the things of the Lord. My goal this morning is to hopefully expose some pride in our lives so that we can then approach God humbly and say, I need help, and we can grow and mature. Unfortunately, we know that pride needs humility, but the unfortunate part is that humility is not listed as a fruit of the Spirit. I believe that's the case because humility is actually a choice that you have to make. It says in his word in James 4.10, he says, humble yourselves 
before the Lord and he will lift you up. Just prior to that, he said he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we're gonna look this morning at how the enemy comes and he tries to plant pride inside of our lives by attacking our identity, causing impatience, which results in insubordination, where we no longer obey what God has commanded us to do. So look at that, we're gonna go back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis to open up where does pride begin, where did it come from? In Genesis chapter three, we come on the scene and in beginning in verse one, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Let me pause there for just a moment. If you know your Bible at all, you know that in Genesis 1, it says that God created the heavens and the earth, and it walks us through the story of creation. As we get into chapter 2, you can look in your Bible right now or later on, as you see God mentioned, once humanity comes on the scene and it talks about mankind and Adam and Eve, it's no longer as he referred to as God, he's referred to as Lord God. He now has people that are beneath him, that are subject to him, the human beings, the human race, and he says, now I am Lord God to them. And so we'll notice in this passage, again, if you look at it, in verse one of chapter three, that's how he's first identified. It says that the serpent was more crafty of any of the wild animals that the Lord God has made. But look what he says to the woman. He says, did who? God really say? What word did he leave out? Lord. The first thing the enemy did to get into Eve was he stripped God of his true identity as Lord of our lives. How many of us can say that we follow God? Hey, do you believe in God? I believe in God, but the question isn't do you believe in God or do you believe that he exists? The question is he Lord God of your life. And watch what happens when Eve, without even knowing it, she takes the bait. The first sin, I believe, occurs right here. It'll manifest itself in eating of the fruit, but the first sin, it creeps in. It says he's more crafty than any of the other ones. Look at her response in verse number two. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but who? God did say. No longer in that moment did she refer to him as the Lord God, but she now just simply calls him God. Says you must not eat from the, from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Oh, you're not certainly going to die. The serpent says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. We find her in the next verse that says that she takes of the fruit. She sees it's pleasing and she wants to gain wisdom and she shows it to the man who is actually with her at the time and they eat of the fruit. And we think that that's the first sin, but I'm gonna submit to you this morning. The sin was that she believed the lie that in that moment, replacing and taking away the word Lord, that she could actually become like God. And that's what she wanted. That was the pride that she went after. I believe that the sin had little to do with actually eating the apple, but buying into the temptation that in that moment, you will be like God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking that know your Bible. Say, Andrew, we're supposed to be like God. He said that one day when we see him, we shall be like him. And I'm with you. I'm gonna get there in just a minute. But for right now, as we're focusing on our identity, what I have seen happen, and I say this so gently because I'm gonna show the value in it, but then we're also, we, we have been stunted in our growth, is that when cell phones came on the scene and taking selfies and all these things, 
the, the world itself started to look inward, and unfortunately, the church has grabbed some of that, not all of it, but some of it, and said, hey, let's make this about us. Let's see what can I get out of Christianity? Who am I? Who has God made me to be? Now, I said there's value in that. Just last night, my four-year-old son did something that I didn't appreciate, and so he was disciplined, but I spoke to him, and I said, hey, that's not who you are. You are a young man that is a nice, kind, gentle young man. You are not a mean kid. You don't do that to your brother. And so I was speaking identity into him so that he knew this is who you actually are. I believe there is great benefit in that. The problem with that a little bit is that he's only four years old. I'm not gonna have that conversation with him when he's 15, 16. That is a, a great foundational piece. I would never throw that away. So what I'm, what I'm approaching here gently is that some of us, we have been taught in a healthy way that when we spend time with God, the question becomes, God, what do you have to say about me today? What we have to be very careful of is if we stay there in that moment, if we stay there in that train of thought, that we actually can allow pride to seep in and we start putting all of the focus here when the focus is supposed to go where? Back up to God. So this is not an issue of who's right and who's wrong. It's an issue of pressing into maturity. What Eve didn't realize, or what she actually thought, excuse me, was that she could live and still have God be in her life and that he could live. You can't both live at the same time. It's not possible. I'll prove it to you. In Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, Paul says that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We look at Colossians chapter three and verse number three, it says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. As we press into maturity, we see that the issue isn't about what am I and who, who have I become? The issue is can I die to myself? Have I crucified myself with Christ? It says that we're hidden with Christ. Isn't that what it says right there? We're hidden. I think sometimes we try to ID a missing person. We're trying to pull ourselves out of God and step outside of what he's called us to be and who we're supposed to become, and we try to put all the attention back on us. I know this sounds heavy. Again, it sounds like I'm angry. I'm not. I'm trying to expose something that is crafty, that has snuck in and can now become a part of our lives. We need to rid ourselves of that even this morning. So the question becomes, how do we die? And please don't, don't think if you're new, it's your first time maybe ever in church, I don't know, I'm not talking about a physical death. I'm talking about dying to yourself, dying to your desires, to your wants, to your selfishness, whatever you think you're owed in this life, we wanna die to that. So the question is, how do we die? Because if God can show us how to die, then we're starting to rid pride out of our lives. Now it feels like a big rock, we're just kind of prying at it, we're trying to scoop up underneath it to see if we can extract that guy. Here's the answer, in Exodus chapter 33 and verse number 20, it's God speaking to Moses, and Moses said, God, I want to see your face. And Moses, or excuse me, God replies, he says, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. We think of that as being a negative statement, but it's not. It's a great promise in the scripture that if you see his face, you die. Isn't that the goal of Christianity, that we want to look into the face of God? It says that when we see him, we shall what? Be like him. Why is that? Because when you see God, you actually die. So the invitation this morning isn't to look inside and look to yourself, but it's to look to God, the author, the finisher 
of our faith and say, God, I want to see you for who you are. And when I do that, I actually die and I no longer walk in pride. Do you know that dead people don't react to anything? They don't. They just, they're just there. That's what God has called us to be in our Christian walk. He wants us to die to ourselves. And I think one of the ways he does that, if we'll look in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, there's a dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. And I think he gives us a key insight here as to how we begin that process. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and so others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And here it is in verse 15. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? So perhaps the question isn't, God, who am I? And what have you said about me? Maybe the real question is God asking, who do you say that I am? Because when we answer that question correctly, that's when he smiles on us, and that's when he sees, now my kids have got it. Because look what he says. Simon Peter answered in verse number 16, you are the Messiah. Some say you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by who? My father in heaven. We find all throughout scripture in the gospels, Jesus constantly telling people, don't, don't, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody who I am. I know I just healed you. Just nope, keep your mouth shut. Why would he do that? Because he didn't want his name known? No, because he wants the father to actually reveal who the son is. That's what he's going after in our lives. And I know like right after that, he changes his name. He said, you'll be called Peter. And he, he gives him like a new name, right? But actually, if you look on the backside of the cross, he actually refers to him as Simon again. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, son of John. So sometimes we get wrapped up in this, who has God called you and what he's called? I'm gonna submit gently to you today that there is great foundational truth in knowing who you are. But at the same time, my thought is, what does it really matter? If I die to myself, I'm a dead person, then who gets all of the credit? Who gets all the glory? He does, exactly where he's supposed to go. Now, I know there's the other side of it, which is great, and I wanna bring this up. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number nine, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love that. It is so true that we are a chosen people. We're special. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, his special possession. So now the question is, so are we dead or are we special? Which one is it? And I ask you the question, which one is it? Is it that we're dead or that we're special? It's both. It's absolutely both. The problem that we've run into in modern Christianity is we think that being a priest is a statement of authority, but actually it's just a statement of access directly into the throne room of grace so that you can die. The Bible says you can come to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace anytime you need it. It's through the blood of Jesus. It's not through our own doing. It's through him. So the invitation as a royal priesthood it's not so that we can just sit there and name it and claim it and do all these things. It's so that we can come directly into the throne of grace to die. Amen? But make no mistake, we are called to be like him. We know that. It says that we are to be like him. But the, the difficulty we land with is that, that, that it's a process, that it takes time 
and what pride is, one thing I know about pride is that it is never patient. Pride is never patient. Think about people you know that are prideful. They're always trying to get in their two cents. They want their voice to be heard. They want what they have to be. No, no, you can't do that to me. I know that you can't say that to me. I'm, no, I'm staying right here. They hold their ground. They are not patient. But God wants to expose the impatience that we have hidden inside of us that I believe comes from pride. As Americans, we want everything right now, right now. There's a term called delayed gratification. It's probably foreign to a lot of you in here. That means that you have to wait for what's coming later on down the pipe. But I say this with all sincerity, but I'm so thankful that Jesus is not an American. He's not. We have to admit it. He's not American. What does he say about his kingdom? He says, my kingdom is what? Not of this world. So he doesn't buy into the fact that we have this impatience in our lives. That's just pride. That's Eve saying, I want to be like God when? Right now. What she thought wasn't wrong. You can read later on in Genesis 3, he said she's actually become like us. She knows good and evil. The problem was she did it prematurely. And the problem is when we in our lives begin to go after the promises of God that he's given us, and they're so pure, and they're so right on, but when we start claiming things in our lives prematurely, what we have done is we have fallen into the same trap that Eve did. I'll show you, because in, in our lives, if we know who we are in Christ, we're the, we're the children of God, we're dying to ourselves, and God has promised you something in your life. He says, I want you to plant churches, I need you to do this, I want you to reach out. There's all these different things that he has given to us, but if we try to claim that too early, and say, God, I'm ready for that. I want that right now in my life. I don't need to go through the process. You just, I'm ready. I'm, uh, hey, uh, let's just do this right now. Then you and I, when we claim our inheritance too soon, we are just like the prodigal son, exactly like him. If you know the story, the prodigal son comes to the father and he said, I know who I am. I want my inheritance and I want it right now. You really think the father didn't know what he was gonna do with that money? He went and wasted it, he squandered it, prostitutes, all you name it, he did it, and he finally came to his senses. The father knew that. He's a good dad. He knew exactly what his son was gonna do. But he was kind and he was gentle and he brought him back in. But the, the, the question is, do you and I claim what he's given us too early? I know that sounds a little bit confusing, so let me see if I can bring this home a little bit better for you. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse three through five, it says, praise be to the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept, where? In heaven for you. Oh, everybody just sigh real big. Oh, I thought in America we could have it right now. I wanted everything to go down the way I thought it was going to go down. He said, what about, what about the scripture? It says, your inheritance isn't on the earth. It's in heaven. Does that mean we sit around and piddle our thumbs and do nothing? We'll get there in a minute. We'll talk about that. But for the moment, we have to be willing to understand that our inheritance is waiting for us on the other side. In Hebrews chapter 11, one of the greatest chapters about people of faith, it's the heroes of faith chapter. It mentions Abraham and Moses and Rahab and all these different people that did these great things for God. And on the very last verse of that chapter, it said that none of them, not one, none of them received what God had promised them. It said because he had something better for us that apart from us, that when we come together, 
They should be made complete. My question to us as Americans, in trying to uproot this big, uncomfortable rock of pride, have we tried to tell God when we should get what we think we deserve? Have we fallen into the error of the prodigal son, or can we walk in patience? I believe if Abraham was standing here today, he'd say, guys, just wait, just wait, just wait. He's a generational God. If he's promised things to you, can you go to your deathbed one day, breathe your last, and say, God, you are still faithful. I believe every word that you ever spoke to me. If your answer to that is yes, then you're at the end of the verse. It says that those that do that walk by faith because they know that something greater lies ahead. Proverbs 20, verse 21 gives us great insight. It actually says, an inheritance claimed too soon will not be blessed at the end. Again, these are not my words. If they're my opinions, throw them out. But if it's in here, we got to deal with it. But I know what happens as Americans and as Christians, we, we don't walk in patience real well at all times. We get anxious. And when we do that, we begin talking and we begin grumbling and we begin complaining. But we can't be so foolish to think that we're the first people group in the history of the world to do that. Inside this Bible, it talks about that. The children of Israel, God brought them and he took them out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt. He said, hey, I've got this great promised land for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey and you're gonna capture all these lands. Like, man, sign us up, we're in. The 10 plagues come, Pharaoh says, hey, let them go. They go and they get to the Red Sea like, oh no, we're stuck and the water's open and they go through and they land in the wilderness. They're like, where's the promised land? Where's it at? Moses, where, where's the promised land? It's like, hold on. God's gonna get us through this. No, 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 I want it right now. You promised, no, we should have just gone around. No, we should have just stayed in Egypt. This is stupid. We're gonna come out here and we're just gonna die. And God's brought us into the wilderness and some of us curse the very thing that's trying to get us into the promised land. You have to go through the wilderness. You're like, no, I don't wanna go through that. It's not, it's not a bad place. Everybody has to go through it. Jesus himself, did he not go into the wilderness after he was baptized for 40 days, right? But what happens is, all of us in the Christian walk, we've been redeemed, we've been bought back by the blood of the lamb, the blood on the doorpost, out of slavery. We have to go through the Red Sea experience, that's baptism, we end up in the wilderness, and we begin to follow God, but if we grumble and we complain, you get to stay there longer than he's designed for you to. That's the deal, you have to go through the wilderness, but how long you stay there, a lot of that depends on you and your attitude. How long are you gonna grumble and how long are you gonna complain? That's convicting to myself as I sit here and listen to what I'm saying. But I will say this, in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two, he gives us a beautiful picture of why, even, why he even takes us into the wilderness. He said, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years, whoa, 40 years. He had to let the people that were grumbling and complaining die, all of them, save Joshua and Caleb. That's it, they all died because they wouldn't shut up. They just kept talking and grumbling and complaining. But he said, all I was trying to do was humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And they just kept yapping, they wouldn't shut up. How many of you know that a grumbling, complaining Israel would have never marched silently around Jericho? Go look it up in your Bible, that's how they defeated him. He said, I don't want you to say a word, I want you to shut your mouth, I want the, the priests, they're gonna blow the trumpet, you don't, don't say a word. He had to get a generation that would listen 
to his commands without opening up their mouth and thinking that they knew best and taking the Lord God, stripping him of his lordship and saying, I get what I want and I get it right now. It's the same thing over and over. We think it's this new deal and the enemy's so crafty, but it's the same thing that's been there since day one. It's the pride that says, I know best and God does not. In 1 Peter 5, verse number six, he says, humble yourselves Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Some of you are sitting right here and you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit. Man, I have tried to push too hard and force God to give me what I think is rightfully mine. So we have to have patience. We have to learn how to wait on the Lord. And we have to listen to what he's telling us to do. So the back part of Deuteronomy 8, 2, it actually says whether or not you would keep his commands. He wants to know if we're obedient. I believe as we begin to wind this down that pride most often displays itself through, our dis, uh, through disobedience. It's what Eve did in the garden, right? She ended up doing something God told her not to do, but we saw that it's actually rooted in something deeper. So I have to ask then as Christians, what are we asked to obey that maybe we're not obeying? God has given us many commands. We know that two of the greatest commands he's ever given us, it says that the first one is to love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second one? To do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. He talks later on in the New Testament about you have to have love for one another. It's all these commands. They can all be summed up. There's all these nice little things that we look at. And so we have to, we have to look inside of ourselves and say, do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Can you just will yourself into that? No. Can I love my neighbor as myself? Can I make that just happen? No. But that's if you have pride in your life. If you fall before the almighty God and you say, God, I repent, I humble myself in front of your presence, he's, he gives us the promise under his mighty hand, it says he'll lift you up when you're ready in due time. But I wanna look briefly at a command that he has given to us, the great commission in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse number 18, Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So now, I've told you when you're going through the wilderness, he's trying to test us, he's trying to humble us, and he's saying just be patient. But then he gives us a command in the New Testament and the command is, therefore, wait. What does it say? Therefore, go. So what is it? Is it, do we wait or do we go? And what's the correct answer? Correct answer is yes, you do both. You wait while you go. We've made this so complex. It's so simple. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and here's where we missed it, I believe. It says, in teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. What we have accidentally, I believe, in a pure motive, what we have done is we have not, instead of teaching to obey, we've just teached or taught all that God has commanded. So what does that look like? That means if I'm making a disciple and I'm sitting down with somebody, I said, hey, I know you're new to the faith. Why don't you open up your Bible to me to uh, Luke 22? Let me read this and let me show you what God is actually saying right here. They're like, oh, that's good, that's convicting. There's, there's right motives in that. 
And then, hey, come back next week and we'll do that again. So we come back next week and hey, we're gonna look at Acts 14 today and we're gonna talk about this. I'm gonna show you what the Lord God is commanding. And then you come back the next week and hey, bring a friend and let, let, let Andrew come show you what it means in 2 Corinthians chapter two. I'm gonna talk to you, I'm gonna teach you and tell you everything that God has commanded. Now, who does the weight fall on? Falls on me. There's a lot of prep work I have to do. There's a lot of things I gotta get in order. I gotta figure out what does that person need? What's, what's going on? But he never said to do that. He said teaching them to what? Obey. Oh, that means all I have to do is walk up. We sit down together, we pray, and we begin to share. And I say, hey, let's open up the, the scripture. But before we do, I just have one thing. I only need you to do one thing, and I'll do it with you. You promise that when we read this next passage that both of us commit, we're gonna obey it no matter what it costs us. Count me in. I'm in. Great. Where do you want to start? Let's start in Matthew. We open the Bible up. Holy Spirit, speak to us. And as that person begins, and you yourself, you begin to open up the Bible, and you see what's going on in here, who is it now that begins to speak and teach what the command actually is? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now free to do his work. We have tried to play his role because we think we know best. And we think we have insight into the scripture that he's unable to share. I promise you, it all comes from him. The only thing I have to do to make a disciple is get them to know Jesus, baptize them, and then teach them to obey all that he's commanded. It's simple. We've made it so difficult. Again, out of pure motives. I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm not calling us out and saying that we've been in complete error. I'm trying to redirect us and bring the ship back where it's supposed to be. Amen? I love at the end of the Great Commission, as we're finishing up here, one of the greatest passages, probably the most important part of the Great Commission, is on the back end of verse number 20. It says, and surely I am with you always. Man, if we missed that, we've missed every part of this whole thing. The whole goal of this is that Jesus wants to have relationship with you, and he wants to have relationship with me. The goal will always be to know Jesus. Even in Psalm 23, one of the most famous passages in the Bible, it says that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for what? You are with me. I can promise you this. You're never going to get to a you are with me experience with great pride in your life because you think you're going to be able to go through the valley of the shadow of death by yourself. You're going to think that you know best. And God has invited us and he said, I just want to come with you. I want you to lay aside everything. Again, I wish we could just simply pray and say, we need the fruit of humility in our lives. That's a pure prayer. It's probably right in some regards. But everywhere I read in this book, it says you got to humble yourself. Like, no, Andrew, you don't have to do any work to know Jesus. No, his salvation, the gift of redemption is free 100%, but it'll cost you a lot to follow after him, to humble yourself beneath the hand of the almighty God and let him raise you up in due time. You know, the Tower of Babel, our last story, occurs in Genesis chapter 11, beginning in verse number one. I think we can see something briefly out of this. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a, a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. That sound like pride to you? Shake your head yes. That is absolutely 
prideful. It says, otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So what the Tower of Babel, what pride says, is that we want to make a name for ourselves. We're going to hunker down. We're going to stay here, and we're just going to build. That's it. They said, we want to do that because if not, we're going to be scattered. What does it talk about all through the book of Acts? That the disciples were what? Scattered. Why? Because he said, go into the uttermost parts of the world. So pride makes you want to camp out. Stay where you are. Build a name for yourself. Make your name great. People want to see me. The Great Commission blows that out of the water and says, no, 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 no. If you really love me, you're going to go. You're going to scatter to the ends of the earth. You're going to take this gospel that has been given to you, and you're going to reproduce it over and over and over. God forbid that we ever in our lives, in this church, in this community, become like the Tower of Babel and say, let's make a name for ourselves. I would rather submit to Almighty God, bow on my knees and just say, forget me, I've done it all wrong. I'm going to come back to you in the purest sense. I want to know that you are with me. I want, I want to, to know your identity. I want to know who you are. I want to be patient. I want to wait. And if it never happens, all of my faith is in you. And at the same time, I want to go. I want to scatter. I want to be known. I want to make your name known among all the nations of the world. And that starts right here in Bryan College Station. You can go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Man, I wish we could just ask for humility and get it right off the bat and be done with pride, but I just don't see that. I don't see it. I think you have to actually physically open your mouth and you have to repent and you have to call out the pride that is in your own life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. I hope you don't walk away thinking today that I called out pride in you. My goal is to show you what the Word says, and I want you to go back and read and see for yourself if you can find what he's asked us to do. I, I will say this, that as we're attempting to die to ourselves, again, not a physical death, we're talking about a spiritual one and realizing that he is almighty, I, I believe that there's a group of people here this morning, I don't know how large, that it's difficult for you to die because you keep remembering your past. And it's literally keeping you from dying. You're like, I can't die to that. You don't know what happened to me. You don't know how bad I screwed up. And you just can't, you can't die to that. It's amazing that as human beings, we remember what we should forget, and we forget what we should remember. But you know that God himself, he never goes fishing at the sea of forgetfulness. So why do we? He doesn't go there. He said he's taken our sins and removed it as far as the east is from the west. There's no east pole and west pole because they never touch. So quit digging up dead things. That's my encouragement to some of you. It's just a few selective in here this morning. Quit digging up dead things. Put it to bed. Put it to rest. And know that the blood of Jesus covers everything. And my challenge is just for you to wait. Wait patiently. If God's spoken a word to you, are you okay with humbling yourself before him and saying, God, you're great. You're mighty. And I don't care if you ever come through. I know you will in, in your timing, but I'm still going to follow you with everything that I have inside of me because you're worthy and I want to know that you're with me. And while I'm doing that, while I don't understand this waiting game, while I'm trying to be patient, God, I promise that I'm going to quit being disobedient. I'm actually going to go and make disciples of all nations. I'm going to baptize them in the name of the Father. I'm going to baptize them in the name of the Son 
of the living God, Jesus Christ. I'm gonna baptize them in the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna teach them to obey all that you have commanded. And I know God, I know, I know that I know that you're gonna be with me always. If we have our prayer team, anybody of our life group leaders, if you would go ahead and make your way to the front. The final passage I wanna show you, it's actually the, the precursor to what Hannah shared during worship. From Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse five, I believe it sums up this whole talk about the pride of our identity and the pride of our impatience and then the pride of our disobedience, our insubordination. Philippians 2 verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He knew who he was. He's the son of the living God. And even he, when he walked the earth, said, I'm not going to use that to my advantage. I'm going to stay submitted. I'm going to humble myself. Verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing. I feel like that's where I need to be at in my life. It's not this self-degrading, oh, God, I'm complete trash. You created a mess. It's God. You have called me as a child of God. I'm a royal priest. I come with full access to your throne, and I say, God, you are worthy. You're so much greater than me, and I want to submit to your ways says at the end of verse 7, he took on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. You can't get any lower than going from God to human. I just don't see it. But in verse 8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient to death, even death on a cross. Will you take up your cross today? Will you deny yourself? Will you be like Paul? It says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Jesus, you live in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of the God who loved me and gave himself for me. Living by faith means you can't see what's going to happen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Can you die with faith in your heart, having never seen what God promised? When we do that, I'm not playing God, but I've seen him do it time and time again. When you submit and you lay down everything in your life, God says, when you do that, his word says, I'll raise you up in due time. Can you be patient with what God's trying to do in your life? If you would, go ahead and close your eyes. I'm going to pray, but as I, before I do, as all eyes are closed, I just want you to ask the Lord right now, is there a place in my heart where I need to repent for the pride that is in my life? And the Holy Spirit speaks. He's genuine. He's real. We have people up here that are willing to pray with you if you'd like to. What I don't want you to do is just think it's a good message and move on. I'm asking, I'm begging you, ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this moment? I want to take on the identity of God to know his character, to know his nature. I want to wait, I want to be patient, and I want to go. If you have any sort of need of prayer today, we would love to pray with you down here at the front. Just do business with God. God, we thank you so much for your grace, for your kindness. God, I know this message is heavy. It feels like I'm attacking people, attacking their thought process. God, I, I promise you, know my heart, that's not. I want to see us come fall before the living God to remember that you're the whole reason we're here. Lord, you offer salvation. You offer freedom. You offer grace. You offer mercy. You've been so kind. You've been so patient with us. 
I should have been dead a long time ago in my sin. But God, you are rich. You are rich in mercy. You're rich in your love. You're rich in your grace. Lord, I thank you for my friends that are listening today. I thank you that you're dealing with them so gently. Lord, I just ask that they would respond, not for the benefit of numbers, but for the benefit that they would humble themselves before the Lord Jesus Christ, before Almighty God. And we trust that you will raise us up when it's the right time. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need any prayer, you're welcome to come.